Hello, Dave Gebro. Oh, hey, Joe Kennedy. We're the hosts of Discography, the music podcast that delivers the objective truth about the entire discography of every single artist and band that ever existed. Joe, do you, I was just thinking, do you remember the time? So, uh, Joe, I made a feature called The Homeboy, and Joe, uh, Rick uh, Kronberg wrote it. He's a friend of the pod, uh, helps a great deal with the pod. However, Joe scored it, and we needed some turntable action. <laughs> so <laughs> I know this is gone. So what happened? So we put out um, one of those little flyers where you like make the tabs that you pull off to like um, you know with our phone number on it, and we hung it up at um, some like DJ shops. There was a place it used to be on like on like Vermont and Franklin near there, and like in Los Feliz. There was like a DJ vinyl. This is like the year two thousand or so. And we got some nips, didn't we? we well, we did. We got um, we got a message from our uh, from a fellow um, named Corpus G. Chew. Well, he didn't initially introduce himself as Corpus G. Chu. That was um, that comes a little bit later. I mean, oh, he was just George. There was, oh, just really? I don't remember that gnome to Right. <laughs> yeah, so he's George, and um, he, he came down with his turntables, and um, he did some nice scratches for us. Um, the, the, it, was the, it was a hip-hop-themed movie, and um, so we needed we needed a few bits that, that were, um, you know, that kind of uh, mixed in a little bit more skilled scratching than I knew how to do myself. So we kindly sent him home and said, you know, come back to the session tomorrow. You can leave your turntable. Yeah, There's it, no need right. to it log It ended up out. kind of being a long session and um, we got a few things out of him that made it into the movie and that he had a fellow uh, with him um, named um, the, the, the Messenger who brought his demo tape. No. Named well, okay. The Mez. Well, he Sanger. spelled it M E dollar sign Z. Was it a Z dollar sign? I don't know, but it was definitely it was. A, the the uh, <laughs> dollar sign Z diphthong was definitely, definitely not your typical <laughs> spelling thing. I, you know what? I still have the cassette. Nice. I still have the Messenger cassette. So we sent him home, and Joe, in about ten minutes, became a better turntablist. And I kind of learned how to. Well, I learned how to do a baby scratch, so um, which is kind of like the simplest scratch you can do and it's all over the friggin movie it's Joe yeah it's mostly my baby scratching on on, on, uh, on George's turntables but then we asked him there was some repeated uh, reaching out to him to ask him how, how he wanted to be credited <laughs> and he kind of kept going back and forth and was like kind of mysterious and sort of enigmatic about how he wanted to be credited <laughs> and then um, his the final answer he went with was he was to be credited as Corpus G. Chu <laughs> <laughs> and that was the That's, last communique. With that was him. the last we saw of Corpus and the Messenger. So yeah, I hope they're I hope they're still out there making beats. Today we are doing episode three, part three, Sly and the Family Stone, giving you their overview of their illustrious and super interesting career. So in discography, what we do is. Every single episode, we will look at an artist or a band's entire discography, and we rate uh, from a star rating of zero to five, including half stars because of our our techniques of precision uh, are so defining that we need these kinds of uh, decimal points to, to be able to express ourselves properly. Um, but we every release, it's not just albums, we're doing EPs, we're doing singles, right, Joe? Yes, that's right. We're kind of giving you the entire overview of an, an artist's career at Sly Stone today. Otherwise, um, you don't, you really don't get the picture because uh, it's like 
Listening to one album is like taking a snapshot in a dark room. I'm trying to give you the whole arc. The trajectory is the thing. And at this point, we have, you know, gone through the, you know, the early triumphant years. We've gone through the incredibly rocky PCP-fueled middle stage of their career. And actually, when we left, uh, when we left, last left you, uh, the band had just broken up. This is January 1975. So do go back and listen to those first two. Yeah, you you need context to get to this place. So um, just to, as a... As a major note for me, uh, at this point, Sly has been the, the accepted tale <clears throat> is that critically and commercially, he was left for dead from this point forward. Um, then I just want to say this is a massive, massive oversight. It's just not the case. His most, his best music is, yes, behind him, but he still kept producing vital work. And the accepted wisdom is that he sees the matter. So I just want to write that wrong. Yeah, he's. this is kind of, uh, you know, part three here, the, this point where we're starting at and forward is kind of an era of diminishing returns. But um, again, these are, these. the Sly's music kind of always has a, a floor to it of, you know, there's, there's almost always excellent playing and, you know, world-class musicians. Um, so even when it kind of tails off a little bit in terms of songwriting quality, um, there's still, you know, if, if you like funk, if you, you know, if, if you like hearing great funk playing, there's still a lot there for you. And there's also, you know, if you're a Sly fanatic, there's still quote-unquote clues. I think a lot of people are looking for sort of uh, glass onion type insight, glass onion being the Beatles song that thrust tons of clues at the listener. Um, but this is, uh, you know, also if you're, uh, typically I don't listen to lyrics, but to me Sly is just an absolute poet. Um, and, you know, I think what was starting to happen with the diminishing re- returns, Joe, is that uh, part of this mosaic of things that brought him down was, you know, the belief system of the Church of God in Christ, which is what Sly and all his um, siblings, mom and dad, believed in is that if you slipped on the banana peel of sin just once, then you might as well taste it all because you're going to hell. That was the belief. So I think that was the uh, PCP sled ride that Sly took from this point forward. Yeah, I wonder if that's subliminally part of, you know, why why it was so tough to overcome addiction um, and to for Sly to beat his demons and um, to stay focused. And, you know, I, there, because there is... In this period, it, the, the things start to feel kind of more low stakes. You know, um, the the big comeback seems like, especially in some of the later ones, um, it, the, you know, it's pretty clear the big comeback is not happening, and the stakes seem quite everything a bit, seems quite a bit lower. Everything, every release is a comeback. So, um, let's first talk about the albums. Mm-hmm. So, in 1975, you have Sly Stone's very first solo album. It's called High on You. And uh, this was at least the first one billed as such. It reached number 45 on the charts. So now he's a little bit dallying on the margins. But to me, this is a really strong record. This one was the one that I found to be kind of lacking a little bit as far as compared to my own memory of it. Um, Listening to it again this time, I found this one to have a little bit more filler than I remembered. It starts off really, uh, really, strong. Ha- really strong. Starts off really strong. Yeah, but it ends strong too. That's the thing. It, it, I agree with you. I think it sags in the middle. So what happens is you get I get high on you. You get crossword puzzle, and that's loving you, which are 
three great songs. Right. Starts off very strong. But then Who Do You Love and Organize are kind of like nowhere in particular. Yeah, some of those, in the, especially in the middle, and the, the they're, they just sound kind of like unfinished, like... I, but part of that, part of that, I like. There's a little bit of a smiley smile. Whatever the hell we got is what we got, kind of thing, right? And it, which I like. Uh, I like that with Sly. So Lilo Lie, which would, I'm sure a lot of people hate that song. I'm I love in, it. I'm not into that one. I love that one. My world but is Lilo Lie to me is just like I need. Okay, I'm gonna try to do everyday people again. Except, uh, I, yeah, I, exactly. I, I can't pull it off. Anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but that's. Part of what you know, it's like if you're a Bob Dylan fan, you love self-portrait. Yeah, you know, I, guess. It's, I think it's the same kind of thing to me. But self-portrait's better than this album, right? <laughs> uh, similar philosophy, I believe, but maybe not as intentional on Sly's part. Uh, My world to me is great. So good to me is really good. Greed is a freaking classic. Yeah, that one's cool. Um, this one, you know, the, the recording sounds good. The, the performances, the, you know, the best stuff is, has a really good high energy kind of feel to it. Um, it just sounds like they kind of ran out of steam after they got the first handful of good tunes and then it's kind of padded out a little bit. I give it four stars. I, I rather like High on You. I gave this one three. Um, shout out to, um, and we haven't talked about him much, Sly's brother, Freddie, who is really stellar. He's, he's plays on this one. He's really, the, he's, I think the only holdover from the old days. No way. Cynthia. Oh, so, right. so let's forgot talk about, about Cynthia. I forgot about yeah, Cynthia. Yeah. So, so we'll talk about her in a minute, but, <laughs> but anyway, props to Freddie, who is a uh, truly not standing guitarist. And when he gets the chance to sing, he's, he's great too. Yeah, He's phenomenal. <clears throat> and he went, uh, in, I think in the late seventies, he went into the, uh, reverend profession. So he's, a preacher now um but sly though is uh, his next step is in 1976 he is on three songs on the temptations album wings of love so um the three songs <clears throat> are and you won't find them on the playlist because they're not really uh worthy of uh putting on the playlist we are very precise in our definition of what gets on a playlist and this does not make the cut <clears throat> we got Sweet Gypsy Jane. We got Up the Creek Without a Paddle, which is my vote for best one, and China Doll. Those are all okay. Um, this period of his production, uh, it's these kind of aren't as essential as the Stone Flower recordings. This is just kind of what he was doing at the time. They're pretty cool. Uh, it's not the proudest moment of anyone involved's careers, but it, it'll do for uh, you know some quick funk on the go. So in 19- so the world of funk is kind of changing a little bit because disco is starting to kind of subsume everything, and I think even on High on You, you're starting to hear kind of some of the disco strings and stuff. It's there's, starting to creep in. I feel like there's more high end. There's less bottom. Yeah. Same with you know this is a problem that you know for me plagues. Heard you missed me while I'm back. Yeah. <coughs> I, I I like some disco for sure. Um, I you know I, I there's a lot there's a lot of super cool disco songs. I, it, when I, it's kind of, sort of not really. I, I feel like in Sly's case, he's not really doing the genre so much as he's like appropriating elements of it because it's popular sort of. So yeah, that's what it feels like. You know, it kind of feels like David Bowie on Earthling. Like you know, there's uh, things that were taken from Bowie and then Bowie's copying other other things. Right. So it's culture regurgitating itself basically. But yeah. Um, you know, there's the problem for me. I don't have a problem with disco either, but the clean crystalline production does not befit Sly's material. So in 1976, he releases Heard You Missed Me, Well, I'm Back. 
So let's talk for a second about all his goddamn album titles um, that start playing on a very uncomfortable comeback theme, like a little bit aggressive. Yeah, it's kind of a little bit. uh, He's really selling you on the fact that he's like like, the guest that won't leave at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Heard you miss me. I'm back. Uh, yeah, he's got like, any more beers? He's got the. He's like the guest who brings two <laughs> suitcases in. So, mind if I do some laundry? <laughs> yeah, can I make a long distance phone call? You got any lobster? Uh, so this is kind of this is a weird one. So, it, you know, his last album was a number forty five hit. So at this point, he's seeing his popularity slip away. So this one's uh, a knee-jerk effort to return to the idea the concept the family stone right band. It's, it's branded as the family stone because again. he had a right because he had high on you which is his first solo LP tanked um, and the caveat was the original family stone had broken up in 1975 so this was a new family stone that was assembled um, and the only holdover is Cynthia Robinson. Right, the most, pati- uh, the most patient woman in show business. Oh, also Vet Stone and Elva Moulton from uh, Little Sister. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, uh, Cynthia Robinson from the band was the only holdover. I want to talk about her for a second. So, you know, in all the reading I've done, I, I read Joel Sullivan's amazing oral history of Sly and the Family Stone book. Uh, I've read so many articles uh, about Sly and Cynthia is always there. She bore one of his children. She's on all these albums that uh, probably don't deserve the family stone on them. Um, and I actually wrote a script. Uh, I'm a filmmaker. I wrote a script called Bad Vibes. And the whole central conceit of the movie was about a, a psychedelic soul band where the the lead, the lead female singer was... Um, uh, passionately in love with the songwriter and it was modeled on uh, Cynthia and Sly and the fact that no matter how abhorrently he behaved she was always there and he always I think took advantage of it based on what I've read yeah it seems like it um, so anyway uh, this album didn't chart at all so there's definitely kind of a weirdly whitewashed vibe to even the best material on this. The production's way too clean, like we talked about, and the new Family Stone has no real definable, unified quality like the old Family Stone. It's just a bunch of slick-sounding, generic studio schmoes. Yeah, this is the playing on its fine, but this doesn't have that sort of uh, state-of-the-art funk, uh, you know, uh, Greasy, amazing feel. You know, this, this, this sounds like kind of pros who show up for a session date. I don't know. I kind of don't songs. know what he was thinking here because he had to have known what he was providing was not top class material. I mean, <clears throat> the actual title track, Heard You Miss Me While I'm Back, great song. Easily the best song on the album. That's how we start. And then um, there's a couple other very good ones. What Was I Thinking in My Head? Blessing in Disguise. That's the last great song. Then there's a ton of shitty songs. Well, I, I mean, Blessing in the Sky is really the, the only one that I would like fully recommend on this record. Some of the other ones are kind of okay. The tune Everything in You I like, all right. Um, overall, yeah, that one's good. overall, I don't really, I, I'm not really feeling this one in this record. Sound, no, it's kind of, no. it's kind of a bummer and kind of sad. Sa- yeah, it sounds off. The production aesthetic and the the uh, the, the the way the, the arrangements and the playing on it, it sounds almost like the like. Like what you would hear on like the soundtrack for like hair or something or like to or me like, it or sounds like grease like, or something. To me, know? it sounds like if Toto were on the nod, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I there's no energy. It's to not the even plan. as good as if if if, if this fucking Toto back in this it would probably be really fucking good. <laughs> not on <laughs> those the guys nod. are pretty fucking awesome. Not on the nod. Uh, there's some. <laughs> I want to mention. There's some bad songs on this. Uh, Nothing less than happiness. Sexy, si- sexy situation. Mm, that one is a, that one's so cringy. I mean, just sexy the title. Situation. Sexy situation. Uh, mother is a hippie. And then this is the most cringeworthy one. Family again. I mean, yeah. it's at, the, at this point what he's doing is transparent. It's obvious. Uh, there's no energy. Because of the probably the drug abuse, I give it two and a half stars. This one I gave I gave this one two, and this one is my weakest worst album of theirs. Then of his a, his I guess. Then there's a gap. Then we skip forward to 1979. That's the next year that there's any kind of sly action going on. <clears throat> um, Ten years too soon comes out. This is not a sly sanctioned project. Uh, it's actually uh, Epic did disco remixes of a bunch of the sly songs. I'm not rating it. I'm just mentioning it's out. I don't consider it a you know a, a release that needs to be uh, dealt with in any way. So go fuck yourself. Agreed. Go fuck yourself. Ten years too soon. And whoever dreamt it up, whatever stupid suit thought that was a good idea, whatever money you kept from Sly so he couldn't snort extra <laughs> lines. In 1979, he released "Back on the Right Track." He said it, so it must be true. So this is the ninth album. Some of the original Family Stone members, including, of course, Cynthia Robinson. Then you have Pat Rizzo, Freddie Stone, and Rose Stone. They make contributions. But Back on the Right Track is actually the first Sly Stone album not to be produced by Sly himself. It's a guy named Mark Davis, whoever the fuck that is, because the production is the only weak link on this record. It sounds way too flat and dry. Also, it's 27 minutes long after three years of a wait, um, which is kind of odd. It reached number fi- number 152 on the charts. As far as I'm concerned, this is actually a solid return to his sloganeering style writing here. Yeah, I think this one's a little bit of a return to form. I definitely like this one better um, than the uh, Heard You Missed Me record. It has, um, there's something kind of muted about it. It's, it's um, the production, I think. Yeah, it's, um, but I do, I do like it better. Um, it, 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 the, the, I keep talking a lot about the quality of the funk itself, like the grooves themselves, the playing itself is a little bit back to the more kind of earthy, greasy, you know, uh, this is, this deep, is actually, more deeper kind of funk. And this is shit you can actually move to. Yeah. Unlike the PCP material. You know, in 79, <clears throat> this even like disco was becoming passe. Where You know, it's like the, the utopian 60s are really uh, a, a distant memory. The 70s are almost over now. I mean, Prince is making records already at this point. I Want to Be Your Lover is, exists. Yeah, and, 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 you know, Sly is being influenced by people who are influenced by him now. So you have like a great song like The Same Thing Makes You Laugh, Makes You Cry. Uh, you got the talk box in there, which I'm sure he had heard from, from Frampton. Um, and I got to say, it's probably the best usage of a talk box I've ever heard. It's super goofy, but it's it's fun, though. I fucking love that song. And Remember Who You Are is fucking great. Back on the Right Track, if it's not adding up, it's top heavy. It's definitely top heavy. <clears throat> the B side, you have Shine It On, which is basically, <clears throat> you know, like uh, trying to rip off their own Sing a Simple Song. 
Uh, yeah, it, that's that happens a few times on this record, and it's a sort of a staple of late period Sly. They're kind of recycling some of the riffs and which is a bummer because to me, it's he's still making vital music. Yeah, so it's this sad. one. I mean, it, this one. I I feel in a way I like some stuff on this. I feel like a little bit like I'm fishing for things to like on it. Um, he's still got a lot of talent. If, if if records like this were his legacy, we wouldn't be really making this podcast. You know, this is sort of uh, no, 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 Joe. This is kind of Joe, the back end of like. There's some cool things. Joe, but... the description of the podcast is every band. That no, has. I'm saying if this you have to commit legally, brother. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. I guess in that conceit, yes, we would be covering his music eventually. Okay, good. Yeah, the when, year, when we were year, forced to in the year 2097, yeah. when we're 125 in years in an old. alternate universe, right? Um, but so um, I give know, it three and a half stars. I know yours is going to be lower. I gave it two and a half. Okay. All right. Moving on. It, that was 1979. It, you know, still a three year gap because that Coke ain't snorting itself. Now in 1982, we have Ain't But the One Way, the 10th and final album by Sly and the Family Stone. <clears throat> um, Definitely a last hurrah. Yeah. Um, the album began its existence as a collaborative LP between Sly and George Clinton, a sequel to Stone's appearance on the batshit crazy 1981 Funkadelic album, The Electric Spanking of yeah. War Babies. The song that he's on, Funk Gets Stronger, is, uh, is, is really weird and great. It's, 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 it's bonkers. <laughs> the way I can describe it. And it's kind of this- like robotic funk... I, 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 we should put it on the playlist because uh, yeah, yeah, I or agree. at least put a link on the webpage because it's, it's worth discography.com. You gotta check it. It's out. worth uh, checking out that song just to see what those guys were up to at that time. I would have loved to have heard a whole album like that. Well, so that's how it started, yeah. and so when they were working on it, Clinton and Funkadelic left Warner Brothers, and Sly uh, apparently lost his shit and went into self seclusion and could not be tracked down. So the producer, Stuart Levine, whoever the fuck that is, took the reins and did what he could to complete an actual album. So this was the end of Sly's career with Warner Brothers. Um, the best song on the... Look, I like this record. I know I'm going to like it better than you, Joe, but mainly because I'm a fan. But I'll be honest with you, the best song on the whole record is 37 seconds long, and it's called Sylvester. Well, that's amazing. That's, I mean, that's a, uh, you know, well, you talk about it. <coughs> so it, I think it's a very important track. And um, this is a callback to the schism between Sly and Sylvester. Sylvester was, you know, the guy who was the real person. I mean, it's, a, was, it's a stunning 37 seconds. It's, of music. It really is. I mean, it truly is. And we're not just, you know, then the other song that I like on this record a lot is actually written by Pat Rizzo in the self-mocking style of You Caught Me Smiling. It's called Ha Ha He He. That's, that's my other favorite one, too. That, but that's, that's, that's not even a Sly song. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, 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 uh, it has some disco kind of things going into it, but it's a kind of good, goofy, fun. And um, then his cover of The Kinks, You Really Got Me, is the audio equivalent of 1980s cocaine. Yeah, no, I hate that. Fuck that cover. Yeah, yeah. And then Hi, Y'all, a wet fart of an ending, but not a horrible song in its own right, would you say? What about, uh, I mean, I don't really like that one so much. No. What about uh, Who in the Funk Do You Think You Are? That song's... Uh, that's not, that's no. carrying on the long tradition of substituting the word funk for fuck. So this was <laughs> the last album I heard, actually. 
just as a side note, probably because in August 2001, you have the Joel Selvin article in Mojo, which is absolutely astounding. Um, and that, so in September 2001, though I went out jogging, and the very last album I heard before before the towers collapsed on 9/11 was "Ain't But the One Way," which is kind of weird. But just like those towers uh, came tumbling down, so did Sly's career. Uh, I give this two and a half stars. I gave it two because the two things I like are uh, are good. Yeah, <laughs> me too. All right, so 1980. 1980- this is how scientific this is. That's right. But it, very scientific and precise. So in 1983, you can go on YouTube and, and watch a pretty astounding Letterman show appearance. But then... The the yeah the appearance on Letterman. Let's talk about that for a second. So he's kind of uh, I guess he's maybe promoting this record. This record's out at that time, probably eighty three. Um, he seems like he's got it fairly well together on Letterman. He seems pretty lucid and like kind of not not tripped out at all. But he has kind of a look of like regret on his face. He does. He you know, looks. He, has he a looks look, stomped down, and he isn't he like dressed in a tracksuit. He kind of has a look on his face that, like you know, like a deadbeat dad has seen yeah, his kid yeah. that he hasn't seen yeah. in a long time or That's something. That's a great analogy. He just it's has true. kind of this downtrodden, kind of guilty, sad look on his face. Um, he performs, and it sounds good. He's he, you know the interview. He he holds it together really well. He seems you know like a kind of just a normal dude, but you can't really escape the facial expression. That was what stuck out to me watching it again before we did this. And then at this point, things kind of start to go off the rails. I want to take a digression here, if we will. Uh, and before we go into you know the rest of his discography, of which there is not that much, I want to talk about Sly's rap sheet because it's very lengthy. Um, but you know, to pluck out all the really relevant ones. Uh, in October 1979, he was placed on a drug diversion program in lieu of facing criminal charges after his arrest in West Hollywood on charges of cocaine possession. Um, August 1981, arrested uh, while freebasing during driving with George Clinton. I would have loved to have been in that I'm going to hope somebody else was driving. <laughs> I'm going to hope it was while well, he was a passenger. I bet they were driving, dude. They had to. Have been. I hope the non-freebasing at that moment guy was driving. In 1982, his manager Ken Roberts quit. In um, <laughs> stuck it out quite a while though. In July 1982, Sly arrested for cocaine possession in L.A. Uh, he identifies himself as Freddie Stone. Mm. Cool. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. February 1983, arrested on drug and gun charges in Illinois. Guy gets around. Then in June 1983, arrested in Fort Myers, Florida, for coke and skipping out on a hotel bill. August 1983, arrested in a Fort Lauderdale gay disco for grand theft of a a ring. My hometown. What's up, Fort Lauderdale? Nice. Nice. Uh, That's the most culturally significant thing that has ever happened in Fort Lauderdale. February 1984, Sly enters court order drug rehab. Um, September 1984 does something very sorrowful and sells his fucking publishing interests to Michael Jackson for a not that big sum. I think it was like 15 million, maybe, maybe less. I'm guessing right now. I don't have the information in Mm. front of me. I apologize. Um, So in November 86, Sly is arrested in a Hollywood motel. Uh, in December 86, arrested for coke. February 87, 
returns to jail on drug charges. May 87, coke possession charges are dropped. June 87, uh, ordered to be held without bail in Florida. <clears throat> November 87, arrested <laughs> again. <laughs> December 87, two arrest warrants are issued. Um, this guy is unbelievable. You know the uh, how in every rock biopic there's kind of like the real dark section where the, the, the like the, the good fellas part where they're cooking the meatballs. Yeah, no, there's a, yeah, kind of well, like in every there's one in Walk Hard too. You know, it's like this is a really dark period. You know, they're getting all and then there's like a comeback. This is like that, but no comeback. No, no comeback. comeback. Yeah, there's no comeback here. So if you made the biopic, it would you would have a hard time coming up with the ending. From here forward, it's a very rickety plane wobbling in the air. That's Sly Stone's career. So in 1986, um, uh, there's a guy from the time I think named Jesse Johnson. Yeah, Jesse Johnson, fabulous who, guitarist, who sings the song "Crazy," mm-hmm. uh, featuring Sly. This was his big comeback, and then he makes the crazy decision, in my estimation never having done soundtrack work ever, and then deciding to do two songs for one of the most racist movies ever made, Soul Man. Yeah, I don't know if it's so much he's doing soundtrack work as if it's like make a couple songs for this. Song. Yeah, he made a couple like songs, or something. but it's kind of crazy that this is the movie he chose. Well, I think he was at the stage of his career at that point where he would... And all, anything goes. Yeah, he would only <laughs> willing to be do, do things under any circumstances. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll do that. Yeah, only only under any circumstances whatsoever. Um, so, you know, he also... And those songs are real bad. Did you know he did a song for Burglar? <laughs> I do know about do that. you know what it's called? I know. No. I'm no. the burglar. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best. Well, Ikabu Static Automatic, that's one of the jams. That, okay, so Ikabu Static Automatic is just... Um, Sly mumbling and grumbling his way through. Mostly saying that. Uh, and it's mostly gated 1980s Steve Lillywhite yeah, drums. It's sound. real bad. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't understand this. The only song, the, I'm sorry, the other song, uh, Love and Affection, is a duet with Martha Davis from the Motels. No slight on the Motels, but what was the idea behind that pairing? <laughs> I just don't get it. Anyway, so moving right along. Um, there was a whole thing. Do you know about the whole thing in 1995 with its with his landlord Chase Mellon the third? I know. Yeah, that with the with the Beverly Hills he, mansion. He, ru- that was he ruined. Trash. He ruined the place. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. the stuff from his later and it, you know, and it's like man, I guess they could just never get him in a rehab. They could never get it to take. Like I, I, I it's uh, it's sad that nobody's. Yeah. And I, mean, it, I know, guess he's his own, you know, it's he's his own man. But, he's his uh, own worst enemy, just like any addict. I mean, um, look, you know, addiction, it's a it's a motherfucker. And it obviously it looks like, honestly, you can just look right at the fall of 69. Yeah, that's where it all went south. And his life has never been the same. I since. mean, that's kind of the overarching narrative. I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's sad. It's a sad story. Yeah. Yeah. He. uh had a period of what you know, six, seven years or something, where he still made really great work despite all the consumption, and then um, and then it got to him because yeah. you know, like you know, I, look, drugs are wonderful things and they can open doors, uh, they can close those doors just as easily, and the door was being closed here. So just the know, amount of time that uh, you squander having a drug habit like that makes it impossible at some level to keep doing good work. 
to have any focus. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, during the late 80s, uh, there's a few home studio recordings uh, with Stone's voice and keyboards over a drum machine. Uh, there's bootlegs of it, and there's one demo called Coming Back for More that includes the verse, Been so high, I touched the sky, and the sky says, Sly, why are you trying to get by? Coming back for more. Hmm. And it kind of details him getting in the boxing ring again and again. Uh, and he can't even do it. Um, so in 2011, the New York Post reported that Sly was now homeless and living out of a camper van in, in L.A., and there was a retired couple that made sure he ate once a day, and then he showered at their house. There's a couple other things in there. They got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and all the original members showed up, and then I think he came up and gave a speech separately from the rest of they them. They didn't know he was coming. They didn't know he was coming. And he came, and he walked on as they were walking off. Right, exactly. The whole thing was very Sly-like. Yeah. Um, not Sylvester-like. <laughs> um, so... You know, at this point, you know, and, and also in 2003, I don't know if you know about this, the other six members of the group from the original Family Stone, they got together to record a, uh, to record an album. And Stone was, uh, he was invited to participate, but he declined. Right. So they also did a TV appearance. Um, I know about that. I remember this because they were on, I, I want to say, Jay Leno or something. Um, and Sly actually appeared with them. They rehearsed down the hall from where I was rehearsing. I saw them hanging out. I didn't actually see Sly himself, but I was playing with Macy Gray at the time. And um, we were rehearsing. I, I want to say it. I like, love that he didn't show up to your meeting with him. Right. So, um, but I saw some of the other, some of the, like Larry Graham, and there was, I think all of them were there. I think all the original members. Um, and they played, uh, they, they played they were, Leno. They were and, great, weren't they? And, and uh, I didn't see, I didn't actually get to see them rehearse. Okay. Uh, and I don't really remember much about the performance. And then there was the Coachella appearance, um, <laughs> which is pretty ridiculous. I, I was at that as well. So they were supposed to play Coachella. This was probably, I don't know, 2000. 10 I think it was 2010 they were they they were booked at Coachella I was there playing with somebody else and he uh they, they had a mid-afternoon slot so they play they were supposed to play at like you know I don't know two o'clock or something so I'm there checking it out I'm like no way this is actually going to happen they get up there they they start setting up gear all the roadies are setting up gear and the uh it's about time for their set and people are kind of like waiting around anticipating what's going to happen is he going to show and a guy gets up who I think was like the, it turns out I think was the drum roadie. And he starts playing the, the beat to dance to the music. <laughs> sort of iconic. And everyone's like, woohoo! <laughs> it just starts going crazy. And then he stops after like 20 seconds. He was just like sound checking the drums. <laughs> and then everyone's kind of just standing around, kind of glancing, you know, nervously looking around and like kind of like an awkward amount of time is passing. <clears throat> and then somebody comes out making, a, making an announcement like the show's postponed. And then um, he... <laughs> He did show up at like three in the morning or something or two in the morning, some absurdly late time. There's barely anybody there left. And he got up on stage and he's like, I'm going to play you some new music. And he pulled out like an iPod. It's the greatest fucking playing songs off an iPod. And that's the most genius fucking thing I've ever heard. <laughs> it's so brilliant. 
to think, I mean, it's so focused and so fucked up. It's so self-defeating and so amazing. I was not there for the late night iPod uh, concert, but um, I can say that I was at a Sly, show, Sly Stone show and he didn't show up. So I feel, I, I I feel privileged that. for yeah, this you, experience. So in 2011, he comes out with, to date, his last album. Uh, it's called I'm Back, Family and Friends. Which the title just muddies the water even further, if that could even even be possible. Uh, so it's part of the "I'm Back" trilogy. Here's yeah, exactly. Here's what I feel about this record. You know what it reminded me of, Joe? What's that, Dave? It reminded me of Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> so all these guests are just popping up, you know, popping by to prop up Sly's desiccated, drug-addled corpse. Yeah, it's pretty pathetic record. It's, it really is. There's uh, only three new well, songs. Yeah, they recut all of the hits, but then and they're kind of done as like sound alikes. Yeah, and it has a distinct music library kind of you, quality to you it. You got Jeff Beck on it. You got uh, um, you got um, uh, Ray Manzarek. Ray Manzarek. You got some odd guests, but it, it's a the very remakes <laughs> are the definition of disposable. Well, it's a it's a very shitty Pro Tools like auto tuned kind of like 2010 ish kind of affair. Uh, the horns are fake and sampled. It it it's like it just sounds like the worst kind of modern like. It's not even like modern production in a way like like it's it, it's like amateurish. It's like it's it sounds like someone did it in their bedroom or something. It sounds like it sounds like an amateur to me made sound alikes of their th songs. Th to me, the thing about it that really you know that I think about when I think about the record is Sly sounds super exhausted and tired on the, on the whole thing. Yeah, sure. The the material he's only got three new songs. Uh, I think you know one is actually a, a traditional song. Mm -hmm. You got Plain Jane, which is just kind of serviceable funk, and then two really good songs actually, with His Eyes on the Sparrow and Get Away. Yeah, I mean, if Sparrow, if it had been done with a competent producer, it probably would have been cool. Um, I, I just I hate the way this thing. It sounds like so fake and in the box and bad. Like I, I zero, I give this zero stars. I gave this you give the, it zero. I gave really? it the coveted zero stars. Wow! I wow! Hate it. Wow! I, hate it. I give this two and a half stars. It, it, I don't mind is, it. I think this is a blight on this catalog. It, it, yeah, it kind of yeah, it kind of is like an appendage. The last real album is "Ain't But the One Way," but uh, you know, Joe. Just as an update on things, in 2012, uh, he did an interview with Nelson George where he said, "I'm looking for albinos now." I mean, that's the only really legitimate minority group going on. <laughs> so, yes, the story never ends, my friend. Yeah. Uh, Sly and the Family Stone, as far as I'm concerned, wrote the book on funk. Then he tore it up and completely rewrote it. And the, the second book was better than the first book. He took it further than anyone. He was more passionate, more autobiographically motivated than James Brown, and not at all reliant on props and spaceships and shit like, like George Clinton. But it's also the story of a man stripped to the studs by drug abuse and paranoia. It's a sad story, but the music is easily some of the best ever made. Simply put, Sly is the Icarus of funk. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly on the Mount Rushmore of funk. You know, I mean, the his some of his other contemporaries. I mean, you really can't take anything from anything away from people like James Brown. Definitely not. So the, you know, but it's clearly on the Mount Rushmore. That you know, he's one of the um, James Brown hits me in the hips. Sly hits me in the nuts. You know, I think Sly always was a um, a complicated person, and um, you know, I think uh, a, a kind of a deep person. 
and obviously had a lot of pain over a lot of things. And, um, you know, he's still with us. He's 78 years old. Um, and you never know. I mean, he might have something up his sleeve. Apparently, uh, there's fans who have been invited into his, uh, his, his van and uh, which sounds very creepy, and <laughs> and was uh, and were you know had things revealed to them that showed aspects of the old genius. Okay, so I guess we're at the point where we are going to select our favorite three albums and our one least favorite. Um, I guess I'll go first this time. Coming in at number three for me, um, I have Small Talk. Coming in at number two, Stand. And at number one, there's a riot going on. I'd say it's kind of, there was a toss up a little bit between um, Fresh and Small Talk for the number three slot. I like Small Talk a little bit better, but that one, honorable mention, right right behind that would be, uh, would be Fresh, right behind uh, Small Talk. And then least favorite, I'm going to go with, I mean, I guess we're not counting the uh, Weekend at Bernie's, uh, one he made in the 2000s. Uh, that's almost not even yeah, really canon, really, yeah, so count. that's kind of too easy to sort of like uh, th- throw sand on that one. So I'm going to uh, go with "Heard You Miss Me Well, I'm Back" as the mm-hmm. as my least favorite. Well, I would say uh, my top three is uh, number three, a whole new thing, uh, a vastly underlooked record. Number two is "Stand," and number one is "There's a Riot Going On." I mean, if if Riot and Stand are not number one and number two then you have a very interesting outlook on music. Um, and then the worst album by them is Heard You Missed Me. I even like the uh, uh, I'm Back Family and Friends better than that one. <laughs> Bold. Yeah. Bold. He's just awesome. He's one of my favorites in history. And frankly, to do a, a, a three-part episode on him for Discography uh, is an honor and a privilege. Yes, it's very enjoyable. I, you know, I love going back and listening to the records. Even the ones I didn't like as much um, are interesting. And um, you know, I, uh, I urge you to check all of it out. Yeah, go on discography.com. We have a comp- comprehensive playlist. It, it's an amazing playlist of all the highlights of Sly and the Family Stone's career. I recommend plumbing the depths of Sly, Sly and the Family Stone's catalog because there are a lot of treasures to be found. You can't. You definitely can't go wrong with any of the four or above stars albums that we gave today. I think no, those, definitely not. Definitely are, not. Uh, and there's a good solid group of those. Stay tuned in for Discography uh, upcoming episodes. We are doing uh, Van Halen, De La Soul. Uh, we're doing the Bee Gees. Uh, we're doing the Who. It goes on and on because our promise to you and our privilege and honor for you is to dissect every single band and artist in recorded history from the beginning of the lathe up until present day. Until then, we will see you next time. I'm Dave Gebro. I'm Joe Kennedy. And we are Discography. See you next time.